emotion. Here, Jazzy, drink this, my mother would say, handing me a small cup of water with box rescue remedy formula mixed in. Go on, drink it, she'd say again after I resisted. It will calm me down. I'd be on the floor crying about whatever it is children cry about at three, or nine, or eleven. Or once, at seven, I'd woken from a nap in the late afternoon, disoriented and hot from being left in the car after we had arrived home. Why did you leave me in the car? I said through tears once I made my way upstairs. Because you fell asleep on the way home. I didn't want to wake you. But I didn't know where you were. Here, Jazzy, hurry up. Drink this. Calm down. Once I became older, she'd tell me how I'd turned hysterical and that I'd scared her as a child. She'd mention hysteria like it was catching, from her sister, her aunt. After having children of my own, I realized what she meant was herself. Towards the end of my mother's life, when my parents visited, the energy in our house would turn suffocating. It wasn't just their dynamic, which had always been volatile but that I couldn't regulate myself while sharing such small quarters with them. The role I played, the one I chose to engage in, was at complete odds with unrealistic expectations and a fairy tale ideal that family could gather under one roof and be in community, mutually beneficial for all. Once she lost most of her mobility, but before she was wheelchair-bound, in the morning, my mother had a routine. She would wake up and have my dad brush her hair, He'd put it back in a braid or a pony and slather a tiger bomb all over her neck. He'd then change her bandages from small mounds of collagen deposits that would weep over various parts of her body. She'd shuffle out of her room in her indoor house slippers and sit at the breakfast bar, and then, like a game of tag, I'd take the hand off. Years prior, she'd stopped being able to swallow her vitamins. They'd stick in her throat on the way down. To remedy this, she came up with a breakfast shake, rice milk, ice cream, a little protein powder, and all her capsules opened and emptied. It was a simple idea, and a recipe my meticulous devoted father had mastered, but one that I could never get right, ever. She didn't want a huge shake because it was a little gross after a while. The vitamins would burn and she'd get tired of drinking it down. But it also couldn't be overly thick because then it was too concentrated. The consistency would be impossible for her to slurp from the glass because she couldn't pucker her lips, which meant she also couldn't drink it. She was just as particular about her coffee. She didn't like drip or French press, but instead this overly complicated stovetop espresso maker that you'd have to get packed and filled and tightened exactly right for it to work. I loved making food for people and fulfilling their needs, but I hated everything about this process. I'd be in the kitchen for an hour trying to get my mother's breakfast right while she'd be jacked on her one cup of coffee and want to talk and connect and feel overall amazing and I could never keep up. After her shake and coffee were made and after I cleaned up, I'd be exhausted and that energy drain would cause an equal amount of irritation and restlessness in my mind and body. I had an inherent resistance to any process my parents had created that I would then try to take over because from daughter to caregiver... I was no longer an individual with my own needs. I became a worker, expected to speak in another's voice, to slip into a uniform that was the wrong color and cinched too tight at the waist. My parents were inventors, intellectuals, visionaries. Together they manifested extraordinary things, a geodesic dome with 
inlaid hexagonal ceilings, owning a bicycle store, a horse farm, drafting scientific reports on how to capture carbon in the atmosphere. But their creations weren't mine, and I realized later that if my service wasn't coming from ownership, then going through the motions would always feel like a betrayal to self. My body was screaming at me that it didn't feel good, and I answered with yes, and this is it. We have no choice. Except ignoring myself in favor of another and branding in a noble cause was a choice. It was just one that required me to ignore my inner voice. The cycle continued. The more I silenced it, the louder it became. In Stephen Kessler's book, The Five Personality Patterns, he creates his interpretations of maps of survival patterns. The roots of the system are vast and have evolved over time, but the original seed came from one of Freud's star students, Wilhelm Reich, who observed shared trauma patterns in his patients he called character resistances and named the patterns character structures. Kessler explains, these character structures were held in place by the patterns of chronic muscular tension in the body. Reich found ways to loosen his patient's body tension and in doing so, allowed their life energy to flow more freely through their body. Kessler names his five patterns, not by personalities to aspire to or identify as, but rather what each pattern does, its safety strategy, without adding a positive or negative bias. Before Kessler dives into the five patterns, he explains the charge and discharge cycle, an integral body-based process every human must experience to remain in homeostasis. Kessler says, As newborn babies, we are mostly just presence in a body. We also have no buffer, no way to modulate the amount of sensation we experience. Any sound or emotion that happens near us flows right through us. We are like little tuning forks, resonating to every note that is played. And because of this, our nervous system is designed to go through a regular cycle of charge and discharge, excitement and soothing, tension and relaxation. He goes on to explain that the need for someone else to regulate the charge in our bodies is one of the defining characteristics of childhood. Conversely, the ability to regulate our own bodies is one of the defining characters of adulthood. But we can only embody a practice as adults if it was effectively implemented in our childhood. For that to occur, our caregivers must be able to regulate, to charge and discharge themselves. If not, then a trauma pattern is born in the space in between, the ability to take in stimuli, synthesize it, and then allow the leftover to travel out of our body. Lasting tension in the body acts as muscular armor and doesn't only affect mood, but the actual shape the body develops into. Kessler says, because more energy flowing to a particular part of the body tends to make it grow larger, chronic tension in the body becomes part of the physical foundation for the survival patterns and makes the patterns body-based. It makes them automatic physiological reactions to overwhelm, not just mental beliefs. We then move into the five patterns, each with its own energy map and body type. Leaving, merging, enduring, aggressive, and rigid. Most of us experience a primary pattern and a secondary one based on qualities that we come into the world already naturally good at. For example, 
my primary trauma pattern, merging, stemmed from my inherent ability to sense others' needs and then try to fulfill that need, even though conversely, the thing I was best at was the thing I lacked in receiving. Kessler explains a child who develops a merging pattern typically held an unfulfilled need for nurturance. The deprivation happened during the first few years of life, usually in relation to nursing and her bottle feeding. The child didn't get or couldn't take in the nourishment and soothing she needed, so she never felt full and satisfied. The tension of being hungry or otherwise upset was not fully released, so some anxiety always remained in her system. She got stuck in a cycle of needing, not being able to effectively receive, and never getting full. This left her feeling hollow and empty inside. Resentment, I believed, was caused by another, but it was the lack of my own boundaries that actually allowed the bitterness to persist. Resentment wasn't done to me. It happened because of me, or rather because of the survival pattern cycle I was stuck in. Kessler charts a continuous closed loop where survival pattern shapes attention, attention shapes perception, Perception shapes experience of reality. Experience of reality shapes beliefs, and beliefs reinforce survival patterns. With my mother, I abandoned myself, unaware that I was no longer my own authority. My energy leached out without a conscious return. But because I didn't hold tools to access my unconscious, I could never express my tangled feelings. And even if I could have, I didn't feel I had a right which happened to mirror the main doubts in emerging pattern, right to need and right to have. These doubts were reinforced with experiences throughout childhood, where with all good intention I was told to hurry up, calm down, never effectively completing my charge and discharge cycle. I wouldn't begin to acquire tools until many years after my mother's death, so I remained stuck, not only within my family dynamic, but within my mind and body and the block between the life I was living versus the life I desired continued to expand. I'm Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.